0: They were among the last of their kind. They'd survived for over a hundred years after many, many others had died. But in the end, they too succumbed to the inescapable plague.
1: You can still see the skeletons or the ghosts. They are magnificent, even in their death, <laughs> like just how big they were.
0: I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're diving into a kind of apocalypse, one you might not know about, but that radically altered the landscape of America. This is the story of the unimaginable destruction of the American chestnut tree, what was once known as the redwood of the East Coast. And it's the story of the group of scientists, academics, and tree lovers who are desperately trying to bring them back from the edge of extinction. That's after this. along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com.
1: Hear that? It's the call of the crave. And when the crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle So the American chestnut tree, uh, its scientific name is Castania dentata, and the American chestnut tree was formerly uh, one of the most prolific and uh, arguably utilitarian tree uh, throughout the Appalachian Mountains of the eastern United States.
0: That's Sarah Fitzsimmons, and she is the director of restoration for the American Chestnut Foundation. The American Chestnut Foundation works to save and restore this once beloved American chestnut tree. So what was the kind of environment that they were in?
1: There were, was a farmer from central Pennsylvania, stuck nine chestnut seeds in their pockets, you know, went to settle west, ended up in, in western Wisconsin and planted these chestnut seeds in the ground, um, those nine trees would eventually go on to be uh, upwards of 30 acres. An explorer named De Soto, who was quoted as being as saying that where there be mountains, there be chestnuts. And that's pretty true.
0: Wood from American chestnut trees was used in everything from furniture to telephone poles to fence posts. And the chestnuts themselves were an important food source for both animals and humans.
1: There's a reason that we have a song at Christmas time: chestnuts roasting on an open fire.
0: It was a tradition for the elite and dignitaries of the 1800s to bring chestnuts back for holiday celebration. They traveled into the mountains of upstate New York or western Connecticut to gather and harvest them. Such a wonderful pastime. Until the American chestnut slowly approached its perilous demise. Even though America had its own native chestnut trees, people were always looking for the next best thing. And they began importing chestnut trees from other parts of the world. One of these trees was the Japanese chestnut tree. And it's a beautiful tree. But its striking beauty camouflaged something else. Dangerous pests and pathogens that crept in with the Japanese chestnut and began infecting
1: chestnut trees people started saying hey my American chestnuts are dying and I don't know why in 1904 there was a zoologist at the Bronx Zoo in New York City of all places and uh, he saw this orange cankered thing on on the American chestnuts that that they had on property uh, isolated it put it into a petri dish uh, recognized that it was a fungal organism so while the the pathogen had been in the. US uh, killing trees, Prior to that, um, we kind of used that 1904 date as, you know, when, when we knew what it was, when we knew what was attacking the species. And, and by 1950, uh, virtually every mature tree in the eastern U.S. had been uh, eliminated.
0: How does the the fungus actually kill the chestnut tree? What does it do to it that, that causes it to to die?
1: The chestnut blight fungus is what's called a necrotroph.
0: Ooh, that doesn't sound good right off the bat. <laughs> right, right off the
1: bat. You, this is bad news. So the chestnut blight fungus... Um, exudes what's called oxalic acid uh-huh. um, ahead of its mycelium that kills the chestnut tree cells, and then the mycelium, you know, however they eat, you know, slurps up um, the chestnutty goodness from those dead cells. This is
0: diabolical. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. <laughs> but but I mean, if you're a fungus, that's perfect. It's it's
0: in, it's ingenious. You've 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 eaten, you've gotten a huge meal and then given yourself like a a permanent snack system.
1: For the fungus, it's it's the perfect scenario. But what what more could you ask for?
0: In the 50 years since the pathogen was introduced, the chestnut blight devastated the American chestnut population. The pathogen was windborne, it was insect borne, and it was waterborne. It had ample opportunity to ignite and perpetuate this devastating pandemic. Did any survive?
1: Um, Good question. There are American chestnuts. There are mature American chestnuts that have not been marred by the chestnut blight, and they are in Oregon and Washington and California. (laughs) There's sort of two classes of mature American chestnut that you can see on the East Coast. There's isolated, unmarked American chestnuts that grow to about 25 inches in diameter um, that have no blight, and they're lucky. The second category are trees that are large and are surviving with the blight, and these are ugly. They, they show battle scars up and down their entire trunk, um, and they basically look like if, if a tree got scabs <laughs> all yeah. the way up and down the trunk, And because that's effectively what it is, is, is this, these individuals have resistance. They are able to fight off the fungus to live. It ain't pretty, um, but they're alive.
0: These are like the sole survivors of a zombie apocalypse. Yes, <laughs> you, you know this whole thing has like slightly the outlines of a of like a horror movie because there's this ho- horrific fungal blight this that, that comes in this this uh, what was it is a necro uh, necrotroph. necrotrove and and you end up with basically the survivors are either irradiated mutants or. Or these kind of like, you know, battle scarred, hardened, like completely, you know, roughed up uh, uh, trees. And it just got, it's got sort of some of these, um, I don't know, apocalyptic tropes to the whole thing.
1: I, I hear you. I, I agree. I, I love I love that visual because it's it, it really is true. Um, just spread across 180 million acres <laughs> of, yeah. of landscape. Um, so it, it, I think, you know, take into account the scale of it. It, it makes it almost even more um, amazing.
0: People have tried a lot of different things to end this attack on the American chestnut and slay this zombie fungus once and for all.
1: So people tried, uh, you know, fungicides, of course. That was one of the first things tried. None of that worked. Uh, people tried uh, cutting out large swaths of dead American chestnuts, creating and and living chestnuts ahead of that, like mm-hmm. like a fire break mm-hmm. to try and keep keep the fungus from spreading. Well, that didn't work. Um, It was at that time that the USDA sent Frank Meyer of Meyer Lemon fame um, over to China to to get Chinese chestnuts. Well, let's let's replace American chestnuts with Chinese chestnuts. Well, well, that didn't work for various reasons. Um, A couple of other agencies tried breeding American chestnuts and Chinese chestnuts in various ways to get a mostly American chestnut with with blight resistance. And none of that worked Um, in the trial
0: after trial error after error nothing seemed to work until a small glimmer of hope started to peer through.
1: In the 80s, a plant breeder at the University of Minnesota, um, Charles Burnham, thought, well, let's try different plant breeding techniques. And he thought about backcross breeding specifically. And that's what started the American Chestnut Foundation, was to Basically, work on this hypothesis that six generations of hybridization and backcrossing and then intercrossing would create a blight resistant American chestnut.
0: It's been a tougher nut to crack than they'd initially hoped. After decades and decades of work, the organization has been able to breed American chestnuts that are moderately resistant to the fungus, but still not totally. what would success look like? I mean, what does sort of, you know, real triumph, uh, translate to
1: initially you need to have self-sustaining populations of American chestnut. If I put out 300 American chestnuts per acre and half of them survive and they start making chestnut babies <laughs> and then mm. those chestnut babies make their chestnut babies. That's a, a self-sustaining population. That's success. And we don't know that we're going to see that for another maybe 100 years Hmm. um, because it takes a good 20 to 30 years to see natural regeneration in the landscape of these forest land plantings. I think it's doable. I think it's doable in the next, you know, 100 years that we'll start seeing that happen.
0: Why does it matter that we are able to save a species
1: like the American chestnut? The issue comes in um, forest diversity and sustainability and resiliency. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the health of a forest, um, particularly in the eastern United States, um, our entire ecosystem is based on a lot of different tree species working together to sustain the insect populations, the bird populations, the animal populations, even the fish populations. Mm -hmm. Um, As you start to lose more and more trees, you start to lose that support system. So um, if you can save the American chestnut, restore that piece of food from the nuts, but also the leaves. The famous entomologist from the University of Delaware talks a lot about the connection of native uh, plant species to native insect life. Hmm. And that you'll see um, tens, if not hundreds of times of insects feeding on native plants over their non-native counterparts. And so while it's true that I can just plant Chinese chestnuts or Japanese chestnuts and get chestnuts, well, sure, but what they're not doing is feeding the native insects, which then feeds native birds, which then, you know, ripples throughout the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, it feels like the American chestnut's like one stone in the foundation of the house, right? And you can take it out and, and maybe you can live like that, but if if you keep going and if you don't sort of address the problem that's breaking the foundation, the whole thing, at some point you reach a collapse and this is just sort of one piece. So we need tools to actually reverse some of that or address the, the problems.
1: Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you, you, you made that analogy because that's exactly what, what we're trying to do with the Chestnut Foundation.
0: If you want to help the mission of the American Chestnut Foundation. Now anyone can participate. Use the TreeSnap app, and if you find a chestnut sapling, send it in. You'll be part of improving the resiliency of American chestnut trees and other threatened species. The mobile tool allows anyone to document and help scientists track American chestnut trees, along with other threatened species. Just take a picture on the app and tag it. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes
1: Doug Baldinger
0: Chris Naka
1: Camille Stanley Sarah Wyman
0: Manolo Morales
1: Chinenya Onike
0: Maddie Weinberg Camille Mojica Tracy Samuelson John Delore Peter Clowney Our technical director is Casey Holford Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming And I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time.
1: Witness Docs from Stitcher. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and
0: crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun.